Welcome to Pleb Chain Radio, a live show brought to you by Plebs for Plebs, which focuses on the intersection of Nostra and Bitcoin protocols. Join QW and Avi as they run down the weekly news and developments, breaking down the current thing and the future frontier with the foundation of decentralization, the builders, thinkers, doers, and plebs. All right, we are live. Welcome, gentle plebs, to episode number 46 of Pleb Chain Radio. Today is Friday, February the 2nd. It's 6.29 p.m. on the East Coast of the United States at the time of recording. We have a great show in store for you today. Bitcoin mechanic, a.k.a. grass-fed Bitcoin, joins us to talk about all things ocean, mining, and, well, whatever else he has to talk about. Uh, we have a slightly different show for you today. Uh, there, is, there is no lightning round uh, due to scheduling issues. Uh, Condalorian is off fighting uh, wars in Condalore. Doc is doing Doc things. Marseille is on her way to organize Bitcoin Atlantis in Madeira. And Lao, well, this is well past his bedtime. So the Nostra report, unfortunately, uh, uh, we, we couldn't make it happen due to scheduling. But it's still a great show. We'll kick off with our sermon. The sermon is preserving the ethos. And QW, what is the Bitcoin ethos, according to you? You know, I, I think of it, uh, I, obviously, it's going to have a different, uh, it's definitely um, means something different to other people. Um, but I honestly think the original ethos, when you look at uh, where it came out of, um, you know, the last great crash, um, it, it's something to me that it's it's a way to decentralize the money, decentralize the money makers, um, eliminate the money printer, no central bank, um, a peer-to-peer network uh, where we have a good monetary uh, fallback globally, not just locally, but globally, something where that will actually unlock freedom for the world. Um, what about you? You know, I work back from the world I want to live in QW. So if you ignore the initial sort of teething trouble that anyone has when they're first aware of, or where many people have when they're first aware of the space of coming in for the number go up or, or, or coming in for the technology or whatever it is, once I truly understood Bitcoin, I understood this as, as a tool that could usher in uh, a kind of a gentler but more peaceful world right on a sound money standard a, 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 a world you know where a, people could be abundant uh, i have a I, I have a son right he's 13 and i i want him to live in that world where sound where sound money where there's less war less conflict um and so that's that for me is the bitcoin ethos it's it's building towards that future Right. And when we talk about preserving that ethos, um, that would imply we're preserving it from something. And is that a, is that maybe uh, just human nature? Is that uh, culture? Um, you know, we talk about culture being upstream of adoption. And, you know, the right culture uh, is something that, you know, is important to me. Um, but is that kind of what's going on? Well, so that is an interesting question, right? So from our perspective, if, if you don't mind me speaking for you, QW, right? We we are looking uh, towards th- this culture of 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 a, a more peaceful and more abundant world, right? Where and and that to me is through monetary maximalism, 
However, there are other people who believe that this is a free speech open protocol where anyone can do anything on it. Uh, and as we've seen in the last year, especially, there's been a strong influx of shitcoinery in the form of JPEGs and BRC20 tokens. Uh, and any kind of pushback against it, even at the social layer, is being is being characterized as censorship, which I find hilarious, right? So we're talking about a, a low time preference uh, world where this shit connery doesn't exist. That's the kind of world we want to build towards. Uh, and yet you have this new and different idea of what Bitcoin culture is. Yeah. And, and I mean, does ignoring things make them go away? I mean, I've seen that strategy, um, you know, where we'll just ignore it. But at what point did the gloves kind of come off? Uh, I think in the last week we saw these cat NFTs that all signals are it's just the absolute scam again. Uh, you know, we spent a good part of, you know, two, three years trying to say Bitcoin, not crypto. Um, and then we're over here just being uh, repetitive. I mean, you get the repetitive shitcoinery going on. Um, so, you know. It, it, it just can't be any culture, in my opinion, or it just makes it we, we take two steps back, you know, and what what we learned as you know, what's what we learned, you know, the whole narrative, it's good for adoption. Um, it just starts to evolve into it's just shit. It's just scamming. I mean, that's what it is to me. Um, you know, and I look at some of the biggest microphones out there, uh, you know, maybe one's in Nashville, runs a magazine, uh, you know, what kind of responsibility does that have? If, if the biggest microphone in the quote unquote culture um, is, is pushing something like that, uh, you know, and I noticed that it doesn't happen on Noster, you, you that, that they'd get eaten alive on Noster, that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, rhetoric, but, you know, we need I, I, it makes me think we also need uh, some 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 truth sayers uh, on the X side, you know, and I think mechanic is one of those um, that that really has good rational uh, points and can fight back um, with, with some of this uh, this rhetoric that's coming out on the uh, the X side. Yeah, well, so before I get into the X part of this QW, I, I, I do want to point out that the proponents of the cat nfts have a very poignant uh story to tell which is the cat is uh is a metaphor for op cat so they apparently yearning for the days when op cat was a thing on bitcoin so uh, this is some kind of coded message uh, well thinly veiled message if you will uh for those days uh, we can get into that with uh, mechanic but on the on the x point that you made uh kidabi if you remember when we did our live show with odell and rockstar at bitcoin park during nostaville uh one of the back and forths we got into with odell who was who is a strong proponent of a clean exit from x uh is well we need some folks over there to to fight the good fight uh and uh, Yes, Nostra, the conversations are great, but it's 20,000 weekly active users, most of them, uh, who, who most of whom believe in what we believe for the most part. So it's a self-reinforcing place. It's nice, but we do, I, I believe we need foot soldiers on the other side fighting the good fight and trying to convince uh, folks who might be on the fence uh, on what's right. 
Yeah, at the, it, it, at the very least, um, disrupt the microphones a little bit over there. So it's uh, it, it's something that uh, it just, you know, I, I do, I can't say it's nice that the mempool doesn't look as congested these days. So there's that. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know what my node storage looks like, but that's something we'll get into later. Yeah, indeed. So anything else on this QW? No, I think we hit it. Um, preserve the ethos. Uh, you know, what that means to you, what that means to me. Um, I think we're in line, but it is something that's important, uh, and that's our mission. Yep, well said. Folks, it is my pleasure to welcome Bitcoin me Mechanic, a.k.a. Grass-Fed Bitcoin, to Plebchain Radio and his first Noster Nest. Mechanic, welcome, sir. How are you doing? Doing very well. And, and before we're ready we dive to go, in, man. Uh, we're just yeah. so happy you're on Noster Nest. Uh, yeah, you, you just got back from the battlefield of X, huh? Welcome home. Yeah, I'm trying to use Noster more. Like, um, trouble is, I try not to tweet much unless I feel like I've got some something that's really good and I'm just compelled to say. And then I want the most amount of people to actually see it. So I'm still. <laughs> You know, um, I, I'm just never compelled to use Nostra as much. Um, but it's, you know, it's undeniably better um, in so many ways. Uh, and, you know, Jack is a big fan of it. Jack is a big fan of Ocean too. And, uh, you know, he's, when I spoke to him about it, he was just saying, you know, he was just telling me get on a decent client, like because my my Nostra UX has been terrible, but I haven't kept up with the new newer clients and all that stuff. And you know, uh, apparently there's ways around sticking private keys into browsers and stuff like that. Now there's some sort of uh, way to do that. So yeah, I just need to raise my game. Basically, I am definitely making a conscious decision to use it more and Twitter less because Twitter is basically, you know, the american we chat right so you know it's only it's it's days are numbered for being like a tool of anything that isn't just complete uh whatever i don't even have words bad enough to describe what twitter is going to turn into we all know so i'll leave it at that we'd love to hear it a mechanic and before we dive in to the uh to the interview itself uh you heard what we we're talking about uh, regarding the Bitcoin ethos, what in your mind is the Bitcoin ethos? Is it even fair, in your opinion, to to say Bitcoin should have an ethos? I don't know. It does. Um, hold on. Just bear with me a second, guys. Uh, my, uh, I just got to take care of something. Give me like one minute, if you don't mind. This is a uh, PCR first. I like it. <laughs> You know, Avi, he was uh, talking about uh, his the client he was on. Uh, I think he was on Astral.Ninja still or something. Um, he was on the, <laughs> I mean, he was the, one of the first five clients uh, that, <laughs> and and uh, Hoddlebot said, go, go to Coracle because he was looking for a web, uh, web-based one. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I saw somewhere there's like 320 clients now and he was, He's still stuck in the first five. So I thought that was interesting. All right. I'm back. Uh, you mentioned Hoddlebod. I'm a big fan of that guy. Yeah, he's a good good man. Um, 
he was uh when he did coracle uh and jack switched over to coracle jack credit when when, when jack was uh, ch- checking out noster uh he had his in pub and he he switched from client to client uh, and coracle was the client he switched to uh he credits hodlebod for uh the the initial funding here the uh coracle at least great All right, mechanic. Let's uh, get back to the question then. Uh, Bitcoin ethos: Is there one? Should there be one? What do you think? Yeah, um, I don't know. It's nuanced, isn't it? Because you know, you did. It's it kind of comes down to prescriptivism versus descriptivism. You can't be too firmly in one camp or the other camp because if you are in either camp, there's problems with your theory, right? Um, so. Like there are things people are going to use Bitcoin for that were not part of the initial intention of what uh, the people that started it intended and what the the ongoing, you know, the emergent purpose of the thing was as well. And it's not necessarily good. It's there are ways in which it's annoying to rug people if they have discovered a use case that wasn't part of the initial intention of the whole thing. On the other hand, uh you can't do everything bitcoin cannot do everything so when people just say hey freedom uh you know without any sort of nuance at all i'm saying you don't have freedom to do anything on bitcoin like you can't make it wash your car it doesn't work like that it's not capable of that it's a it's a thing for a specific purpose that can be used for other purposes that are kind of cool maybe but they shouldn't degrade the thing it's actually for and you can infer what it's for from the intention of people that made it and um, the development decisions that have been made over the years. And when, you know, there's there's sort of naive appeals to freedom that are made where people are engaging in stuff that starts to become reminiscent of standard tragedy of the commons type scenarios where, okay, people are exercising their freedom to do something that's interesting and creative and different from anything we'd have thought they'd have been doing, but it's harming something that is actually the the stated intention of what this thing is and congruent with all the decisions made around how it was developed. So that's a problem. And uh, as you say, if any discussion of sort of cultural inundation and dilution with nonsense once that starts to happen and you can't even discuss it without being accused of censorship, I keep coming up with these political analogies, which I, I honestly stunned myself, the fact that I would even use this as an analogy. But you have the borders. You know, you, if you want a freedom-loving country of some sorts, with you need some sort of strong boundary between it and the thing that isn't it. Because if you don't have that, how do you maintain the values or the structures that give you the freedom in the first place that you can't in any real sense, even though how can you possibly claim that you love freedom if you want to restrict uh, dilution of what it is that makes you free because that's authoritarian and controlling and, you know, so it's completely paradoxical. But at the same time, all I'm saying basically is that you need to have a firm understanding of what Bitcoin is and what it's for because that's the only way you can also define what it isn't and what it's not for. Because if if the things it isn't for start becoming, you know, too much of an issue or start degrading the purpose for which it was built to too much of an extent, 
then that ruins things for everybody and we all just sort of go down with the ship together which is um you know this is a sort of ramble of high level uh, sort of uh, armchair philosophy that i'm going on here but you know um it comes back to yeah prescriptivism versus descriptivism what's it for do we just infer that from any accident that's made i don't think that's possible things happen you have to freedom doesn't extend to the point where you say there's literally something wrong here something about bitcoin is broken and we can't fix it because freedom that doesn't that to me is a non sequitur and kind of an argument that's been made a lot in the context of this you know just complete egregious storage of arbitrary data that just makes things a lot more expensive and a lot more clunky and a lot more difficult to run nodes and things like that um it's it, to me there's this there's just so many elements to it i, I kind of just want to stop and let you ask me more questions yeah where we go i i do have a follow-up on that mechanic which is you're obviously familiar with the the heuristic that says the purpose of a system is what it yeah. does right yeah. if if this is what bitcoin i mean if miners are incentivized to block this garbage uh, to not block sorry to to mine this garbage uh and bitcoin becomes for all intents and purposes a jpeg and brc20 shitcoin chain what what is your uh pushback on that hypothesis because the system then is doing uh, is doing just that right yeah i i just don't agree with possiwid as a as a fundamental principle um uh, i don't think i don't think you backwards rationalize and infer the purpose of a system uh after looking at what it does as a fundamental principle i think it's a practical thing to do in some sense but the purpose of a system is whatever it was you were trying to do when you built the system it's not what accidentally happened in all cases because then bugs literally cannot exist the purpose of bitcoin was not oh some guy can print 180 billion bitcoin because there's a bug that is not the purpose of bitcoin it was an accident and it was something that degraded the actual intentions of the people making the thing and shepherding it and stewarding it into being a tool for a specific purpose and you have to respect that purpose otherwise things fall into disrepair and i think that's self-evident um i think there's wisdom in possiwid as an argument but it's not it's not something you can take as a fundamental principle uh at the behest of everything else or you know to the to the to undermine all other principles like bitcoin exists for a purpose and you have to keep things congruent with that because if you don't uh you can create pretty awful things pretty quickly but not just that i think it's i'm being very philosophical here but i think ultimately this all comes down to practicalities in the end because if you genuinely couldn't do anything about this stuff then it makes sense to be philosophical and maintain that kind of you know uh main, maintain the the conversation on that level but the reality is this is a practical conversation what can you do in order to draw lines between spam and uh real transactions because this can only ever be a practically based conversation you can't ever have a philosophical debate about spam because you can't ever define it versus what's what's real and what isn't but in a practical sense you can look at what's getting inc incorporated in the chain and go yeah this doesn't make any sense 
why is someone paying thousands of sats to move a sat? That doesn't make any sense. They're doing it because of some garbage system on top of us that's uh, assigning value to a unique sat, which is an absurd thing to do. And it's degrading and it's, you know, it's not, again, it's, it obviously violates how things are expected to work. Um, so we can do something about people doing specifically that even though there's no philosophical way to really define it versus using normal transactions, because there's no line in the sand you can draw. Like, at what point does the transaction fee uh, being, you know, relatively large relative to the amount of sats you're moving suddenly make it spam? There is no line in the sand there. Someone might pay a 90% transaction fee when moving some sats then it might not be spam, right? Maybe that was just the only UTXO they had and they had to spend it. And sadly, most of it got used up as, as a minor fee. I'm not going to say that's spam because you just can't draw the line anywhere, right? That's the issue. So it just comes down to, hey, we know what specifically the Taproot Wizards are doing. We know specifically what uh, the Stamps guys are doing. We know the kinds of structures they're putting in the blockchain. And we can. there are no false positives here. If you're sandwiching data after op false and then making an if condition that's invalidated by the op false, there's nothing uh, that no one is going to get caught by that uh, that was a false positive. Everything that's using that is clearly just trying to uh, get around uh, limitations placed by standardness policy and get around it because those same limitations don't exist when you're stuffing in scripts, you're stuffing arbitrary data into scripts very easy for us to go, yeah, we can get rid of all this stuff. And all we're doing is getting rid of uh, fake transactions that are getting around holes in the plot here. And no one's going to turn around to us and say, hey, what are you doing? That was a real transaction. Because there aren't any, no one would use that no one would pay more money to stuff a bunch of script in uh, doing uh, using that particular envelope. Right? So the fact that you can you can so easily draw a line between what spam is and what um, what normal regular transactions are uh, makes this a doable thing, right? I use this, again, a really surprising political analogy here, but that seems to be the only way I can sort of draw um, draw pictures here or make metaphors. It was like Bukele in El Salvador, like uh, Bitcoiners really wrestled with their consciousnesses over this when he went after the gang members and threw them all in jail. And the one thing I found about it that was redeeming was on a practical level, it's never been easier to draw a line between gang members and normal people because they covered themselves head to foot in in uh, tattoos saying, I am a gang member, I do this, I do that. So the, the reason you can't justify those kinds of actions, those harsh authoritarian actions, one of them anyway, is that what about false positives? What about people that didn't deserve that treatment? What a, the state makes mistakes. So any harsh penalties by the state is going to mean innocent people get locked up. And I'm saying, yeah, that's true. That's one of the reasons I would never advocate for authoritarianism, one of. But in this case, it's probably the least bad example of it. Like, regardless of how they were treated and how the whole thing was made into a spectacle and, you know, the dehumanization of them, that's, you know, quite gratuitous, frankly. But if you ignore that, you go, it's probably very likely that almost every single one of those prisoners actually is what people are saying they are and is guilty of the ruining the country for years. So, this is what I'm saying happens in Bitcoin. If you say there's a bunch of stuff that doesn't belong in a chain, it's very easy for us to identify what it is. The people engaging in this use are openly declaring what they're doing as being a hostile action and an attack 
part of that is to cause outrage and make people talk about it more because it helps with the marketing. But it's also just an admission of the fact that they are hostile and bad actors. And as a result of like, there's countless examples of that. The stamps guy is on there saying, Hey, I wanted to do as much damage to Bitcoin as possible. Bloating the UTXO set is really annoying. So I'm going to do that. You have Udi and people like that saying, I'm going to store all my JPEGs on your node and there's nothing you can do about it. Using all this co like language, just deliberately harping on the fact that it would violate the consent of people that are using Bitcoin for a different purpose. Like when I run my node, it's useful to me to store all of the data it stores. It is useless for me to store unspendable outputs, uh, taking advantage of bare multisig. That is literally just people storing their crap on my node for no reason. I have no motivation to run that. And if you undermine people's motivation to run nodes, you undermine the overall security of the network because you make them less inclined to do it. And we've done everything we can. We fought wars to make it so that people will want to run nodes. And the idea that people would work against that is just straight up hostile. And it's openly declared as such. So we're saying we're not going to tolerate this. We're not going to include it. And we don't have a philosophical issue with it because this does not lead to slippery slopes. We've been doing this for years. We've been filtering out stuff that has no reason to exist, i.e. dust forever. Um, I think I'll round off there with this ramble. I have to ask, uh, what was the reason? I mean, it, I want to I want to understand your Bitcoin origin um, and and maybe what, why you were so drawn to it. Um, I think uh, it was a, it was just four things at once happened. Um, <clears throat> first, I was at Occupy Wall Street, and um, there was a you know it became a communist shithole uh, very quickly because every single movement turns into communism within five minutes because that's just, even though the the birth of the movement was literally, let's not make appeals to the greater good, uh, let's be capitalist. If banks get screwed because they've made a bunch of bad bets, then let them go bankrupt, don't bail them out. That was the origin of the movement. There was nothing remotely socialist about it, but of course it turned into socialism in five minutes and everyone showed up with placards saying, capitalism sucks and all this stuff and I'm, like i you know that's just what <laughs> anyone expecting coherence from these people is you know ready to be even back then i was a kid even then i was kind of repelled by the whole thing the socialist workers party showed up and all that but there were some real people there and a few of them were telling me about bitcoin and one guy there taught me how to use tor and then you know introduced me to dark web and you know, I was in my early 20s, so I was interested in some of the things you can do on the dark web, and I'll leave it at that. And then WikiLeaks needed money, and there was no way to get them any money apart from Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, Occupy, I was at the London Occupy, and uh, Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert were down the road doing the Kaiser Report because they lived in London at the time. And all he talked about was uh, Bitcoin too. So I just had this Bitcoin from four different angles yelling at me, and I was annoyed about the bailouts. That's why I was at Occupy in the first place. And um, that just meant, well, here's the solution. It's money they can't fuck with. They can't just print Bitcoin and bail out bankers that have you know, put, dug themselves into a hole by gambling and expect us to bail them out. You can't do that with Bitcoin. So I'll save in that. And that was it. Uh, that was my Bitcoin origin story. So that Hayekian uh, sly roundabout way was uh, was mm -hmm. was intriguing. <laughs> yeah, not that I knew who Hayek was at the time, but yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting though that that story goes uh, three decades, um, and here we are. 
Um, so tell us about ocean mining. Uh, obviously, we've all heard about it. Um, kind of maybe what's the mission of it? Um, the overall mission is for miners to make their own templates, uh, which means uh, miners take on a bigger chunk of the responsibility of what Bitcoin mining is, not just the hashing. Uh, it's been a really dangerous misunderstanding that permeates to this day. Yesterday, I was arguing with Peter Todd on GitHub, and he's still conflating miners with people that operate mining pools, which is not the same thing. Like People will talk about miners including spam, and I'm saying the choice to include spam in the Bitcoin blockchain or not is made by about 12 people in the world. At the moment, this is not something you're delegating to the people that call themselves Bitcoin miners, because all those guys do is hash and try and solve blocks constructed by pools on their behalf. So what I'm saying is miners have become mere hashers. Hashing is only one part of the mining process. Ocean's goal is to make it so that miners take on other parts of the mining process, which involves running a node, which amazingly they don't even have to do right now, because that's how little of the mining process they're actually doing. You have to run a node, you have to verify the blockchain, you have to construct a template based off the longest valid proof of work that you have, and then fill up that block with transactions you want to include, which requires you know connecting and getting populating your mempool, making the Merkle trees, and then hashing until you solve that block. And none of that is done apart from the hashing process by people that call themselves miners. And then you have these silly discussions about activating Taproot or SegWit or including spam or not including spam and saying, if a miner does this, if a miner does that. And I'm saying none of those decisions are being made by miners. They're being made by a tiny group of people, really just Bitmain, maybe Foundry somewhat as well, but F2Pool maybe somewhat. But basically Bitmain, by, by virtue of being 90% of the hardware in the Bitcoin space, or the mining hardware that is, they basically run the whole space. Like even if you're not a Bitmain pool directly, or you're just, and you're not even affiliated with them or have some backroom deal with them, you still basically have to be on good terms with them because 90% of the, the firmware, of the hardware being pointed at your pool is all Bitmain hardware. You become a reseller of it. You have a cozy relationship with them no matter what happens. And so basically, I, I look at the whole space and I go, Bitmain runs the mining space, not just the hardware, but everything else too. They are the most dominant pool. The FPPS rate is set like some sort of intra-bank daily interest rate thing, like LIBOR or some sort of rigged system mm -hmm. like that. Miners all accept it. There's no verification possible. There's no transparency possible. Uh, there's custody necessary because not only do miners can they, these pools control everything that will be in blocks that get solved, they also control where all the money goes once blocks get solved because they pay themselves once the block gets solved and then they divvy up some money later on and distribute that amongst their hashes. Unlike Ocean, which pays all of its biggest miners every single time a block is found in the block itself. So Virgin Bitcoins, uh, in quote marks, not that you know I want to attack Bitcoin's fungibility or anything, but if you look at an Ocean block, a bunch of people get paid who are our biggest miners in the block generation transaction itself, as opposed to, um, you know, just every single time the pool pays itself and then it gives the miners, uh, it gives its hashes money from some other source uh, with a huge and increasingly big buffer between what's happening on the blockchain and what hashes are doing. So what that does is it introduces 
um, verifiable payments again. You can verify your split, which means I have this much hash rate, this block was found, therefore, well, I had this many shares within the Tides payout system, therefore I should have this many sats, and you can verify it down to the sat. You can't do that on any other pool, and no one has even expressed any interest in doing it. And our contention has been that these that th this functions essentially as a kind of um, uh, insurance scheme. That's basically what the payout schemes that other pools mm -hmm. use uh, in effect ends up being. Um, as Mechanic, I could I? Yeah, go ahead. Could, could, uh, so there are a couple of uh, pretty deep topics that he brought up here. You started with templates and then you moved to pull payout structures. Uh -huh. I think it might be helpful to take a step back uh, with a few definitions uh, and then and tease out both of these concepts for the less technical folks listening, including myself, by the way. Sure. Um, so why don't we start with mining templates and wh why don't you give us a quick definition of or, or a block template, I should say, uh, and, and what that is? Yeah, so um, you... As a miner, in the naive sense, this isn't how people talk about mining today. Um, as I said, you've got to run a node, which means you've got to sync up to the network. You've got to find the longest valid proof of work uh, chain. Then then the mining process begins because you say, okay, we're on block 850,000. I'm going to make block 850,001. So it's going to include the prior block and it's going to create a new unsolved block that contains a bunch of transactions and a, a points to the previous block and you in it you define where the new coins that you will you know you will get paid transaction fees and subsidy in this new block so you point it to an address where you want those coins to go you populate the thing with transactions and you keep updating it as you find out about new transactions in the network usually the most lucrative ones maybe you include a couple of your own transactions in there at zero sats per byte um, not that it would matter because if you paid a high fee, you know, that money all goes back to you anyway, if you're the one mining the block and then become begins the process of hashing where you hash, 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 and that's guess, guess, guess until you uh, solve the block. And when the network finds a new block before you do, which is what's going to happen 99% of the time, you just update the prior block and you replace the transactions as necessary because probably a bunch of the transactions you had in your template are now in the block that the network just found, so they're no longer available to you. And that's it. That's the creation of a template and that's the mining process. The only part I left out is once you solve the block, you broadcast it to the network as quickly as possible because someone else is racing to find that block too. So you want to get in. If they solve it a second after you do, you want to make sure the whole network knows about your block first. That's, and if that's, you're yeah. if you're a Bitcoin miner, uh, the pool gives you. So if you are someone who has an ASIC in their basement, right, um, the pool gives you the template, and you got to stick with it, right, for the most part. The, yeah, the pool the pool doesn't give you the entire template. It gives you only the information you need to make the guesses. So you can't even verify what's in the block until the block gets found. That's another way in which Ocean is different because we publish on the website. Hi, here is the the template where uh, the here is the block we're proposing that gets added to the blockchain. It's unsolved, but this is what you're mining towards. We offer three different templates uh, based on what miners might actually want, uh, with varying degrees of spam permitted. Um, the default has the least amount of spam. The or disrespecter one has uh, just ordinals disrespected, but will allow. Um, 
other things. Uh, it will allow more op return data. And uh, the then there's the core template, which is just the you know uh, standard Bitcoin core maximum spam template, basically. Like I've seen blocks with over 90% spam in them with our core template, but no one uses it, but every other pool does. So yeah, the miner, to answer your question, yeah, the miner doesn't, <clears throat> the miner doesn't know in typically when mining with other pools, the miner has no idea what the block will look like until it solves the block and the block gets broadcast to the network and added to the blockchain. Everyone goes, oh, that's what I was working on. And we have this sort of visual analogy of it, of blind slaves building a pyramid, not blind, but, you know, blindfolded. They're not allowed to know what the thing they're constructing looks like because that, that knowledge is forbidden to them. And uh, it's akin to some, they, they are paid, but they are paid whatever is sort of deemed appropriate by the pool, you know? So the, the whole thing is, a, it's amazingly opaque a process for people that have this mantra of don't trust verify. So I think it's, yep. it's ripe to be blown up and we are doing so. And the pool typically, setting aside ocean for a second, chooses the transactions on behalf of the miner, is that right? Yeah, the one who makes the template chooses what goes in the block. And in Ocean's case, we, we have three different templates and people, uh, so that means we're making three different choices and we're being public about it, which is not, you know, as I said, not something offered by any other pool. I think one other pool did start doing that since we launched. I, it was one of the like small ones with only tens of petahash or something, finds like one block a year or something. But, um, yeah, that's that's what the, the the one who makes the template is the one making the choice about what goes in the blockchain. Um, and since we launched our different options for having different templates, a lot of people were like, dude, I'm so out of my depth. What template do I choose? Why do I even have to do this? And I'm saying, I can't believe that, like it's an amazing admission of the state we're in, the fact that miners actually have no idea what this stuff means. Like this is supposed to be stuff you care about as a miner. And no one even knows what what it's about. Like, what is a template? I've had people with hundreds of petahash just reach out to me and go like, I don't get it. What's the deal with the templates? Why would I choose this one or that one? What happens if I do? And I'm just sort of stunned by the fact that they're unaware of this. Um, and it's a sad indictment of the general knowledge of what goes into being a Bitcoin miner and how how much of a disservice it is to the general understanding within Bitcoin um, to continue to call what most hashes are doing Bitcoin mining, because it's not Bitcoin mining, it's just hashing. The mining process involves caring and making correct valid templates with stuff that you, you really believe belongs in Bitcoin, or at least, you know, to most extent, people just think, well, what's the most lucrative stuff for me to include in the blockchain? But that isn't the only concern, and we're sort of realizing that people need to, to learn this um and there's also you know soft fork activation I, I haven't even mentioned that yet but you know when it came time to activating segwit and taproot it was up to miners to construct templates in such a way that signal to the network that uh, the upgrade would be happening or not and again people are saying if miners do this if miners do that and i'm saying again it's just bitmain basically and that's why the the block size war the activation of segwit all basically came down to a fight of bitcoin versus bitmain and that was it, because there are no other parties that are making these decisions, right? Like it was Bitmain's job to either give us blocks that activated SegWit or not. And it doesn't matter what the hashes do, because the hashes are all ultimately pointing to pools controlled by Bitmain, or but I mean Bitmain in this point. 
was single-handedly big enough to block the upgrade anyway because we needed 90% of blocks to flip the version bit. Anyway, I'm sorry I keep getting probably too No, no, it's digressive. We we are loving it, man. Uh I just I you have a way of kind of explaining it that that really educates and I I hope you know you have a gift with that. Thanks, man. So on the topic of education mechanic, uh Stratum V2, right? It now could you if I understand that correctly, that is what allows the hashers to construct the template uh, entirely themselves. Is that is that fair? And if it is, uh, would that solve some of these problems? So no, I'd reframe it a bit. So um, a miner can construct the template themselves today. They just have to solo mine. The hard part is making pooled mining with all its advantages not have too many trade-offs. That's what we're talking about here because you can you can mine you can solo mine Bitcoin and do everything completely the way it's described in the white paper, right? Uh, as I said, it bears very little resemblance for what mining looks like today, but that is what mining is. Like I said, you run the node, you make the template, you hash away, you solve the block, you broadcast it to the network, you just solo mine a block. That's that's what mining naively can be looked at. What we're talking about is pools are constructing the templates and doing all this other stuff and just getting miners to hash away but we're asking miners to take part in one of the most critical parts of mining which is to make the template on the miner side rather than request the template from the pool but you're still pooled mining which means there are a bunch of gotchas which are incredibly hard to figure out and to get all of the trade-offs right in a way that doesn't invalidate the whole process anyway Stratum V2 is an upgrade to the Stratum V1 protocol, which has, in theory, a way for miners to construct their own templates. Um, I, I, I'm hesitant to speak specifically too much about SV2 because um, it's that might not ultimately end up being what gets used here because it's kind of compromised. It doesn't work exactly the way we want, and it's kind of a LARP, which is why it's stuck around for so long and never actually yielded any fruits. We've been talking about Stratum V2 for years, and the only way it's manifested really is encrypted communication between the miners and the pools, which is definitely better than Stratum V1, but it doesn't do anything with regard to template construction. And it seems like all template construction, uh, you know, everything happening with regard to that in SV2 is not really what we're looking for. I th it needs to be a lot stronger than that. Ideally, what happens is the pool doesn't know what the miner is putting in the blocks until the miner solves the blocks, but it's still able to verify that what's in the block is valid because the miner, in order to enjoy the split of the rewards from the pool, needs to be doing real work, right? Because if they're not doing real work, if they're mining fake blocks or invalid blocks, they don't deserve a, a, a cut of the, of the reward split because if you're giving... You know, if you're paying out 10 Bitcoins in rewards for only for miners that are only doing nine Bitcoins worth of work because one of them is lying and mining crappy blocks, your pool is going to go out of business very quickly. And people are, you know, the, it's just not going to work for a bunch of reasons. You need to verify everyone's doing valid work, but you don't really want to be in a position where you can say, hey, we don't like your template unless you're critiquing the payout split. So I think it can all be done. Um, but uh, it's just very early stages at the moment. Um, and 
uh, yeah, what it does is just such a, um, it brings, it, it makes it so that if you want to censor Bitcoin and you're an authority and you come after the obvious central points where the templates are constructed, that's just so easy to do now. Um, a 51% attack requires hash rate typically, but if the hash rate is reluctant to move from the dominant pools, and in this case, two pools have over 51% of the hash rate and no one is moving from them, uh, even though they're engaged in some pretty awful behavior, which is against the ethos you were remarking on earlier, um, you know, full KYC and all that stuff. Um, no one's moving. So to me, if if some if the US government goes to Foundry and says, okay, you can't include these North Korean transactions anymore in your templates, I don't think in any of the publicly traded American companies would move off Foundry as a result. So that's genuine censorship, and I don't think we can credibly claim censorship resistance. If Foundry were making all their miners make templates miner side, that would be much better because then you have to go to all the miners mining with Foundry and say, hey, we need you not to include these North Korean transactions. And that's just less practical to do for an authority. So that's why it creates censorship resilience because you want to make sure that the transactions uh, getting included in blocks uh, are the result of decisions made by thousands of people, not decisions made by tens of people, uh, right? It's just centralization versus decentralization. At the moment, template construction is centralized, which means the, res the fruits of the template construction are um, you know, not credibly um, uh, anti-fragile, I guess I would say. Or, yeah. Yeah. Why do you think it is that so many of these mining pools, I mean, they're not that many of them, but, uh, you know, the big ones are run by people with shitcoin principles and this high time preference thinking? Because, well, my main reason for this, there are many, uh, is because you have different jurisdictions inside Bitcoin and the game theory that I, I don't even like using this term anymore because it I just anytime I get in an argument with anyone about spam, they just start saying game theory as though that somehow wins the argument. But anyway, the game theory of the network has all been meted out and discussed, you know, ad nauseum to establish one thing, which is all of the different parts of the ecosystem all need to work, you know, in harmony. Like the miners acting in their own self-interest should help, uh, you know, should serve the interests of the people running nodes, which should serve the interest of people doing development of the core software or you know, or the, the people writing node software like Umbrel and Start9 and Raspberry Blitz and all these different companies. Like we're all supposed to be, you have to get permission from each, uh, you know, jurisdiction within Bitcoin. They all have to kind of work together. And occasionally they fight, like when miners and node operators fight, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, the nodes are the final boss. They get to say what's valid and what isn't which is great. Um, but the point is, when we were laying all this out, we never include pools in the discussion. We just talk about them in the abstract sense of miners. We put them all under that umbrella of miners. But, you know, the fact that you have Foundry and Bitmain doing over half of what a miner is supposed to be doing, and you're just talking about mining in the abstract. And so that's not realistically what Bitcoin looks like. You have to include the motivations of a pool and those motivations don't magically align with what's good for Bitcoin. What's good for Foundry is not necessarily what's good for Bitcoin. What's good for a general miner, like a guy running an S19 somewhere in his garage, what's good for him is probably going to be what's good for Bitcoin. 
But what's good for Foundry is not necessarily what's good for Bitcoin at all, because what's good for Foundry is minimizing the legal costs of meeting the compliance requirements of the United States government. And the idea that that magically aligns with what's great for Bitcoin is just ridiculous, obviously. So like, you, you have to take all this into consideration. I, I forget what your original question was. Uh, why are there so many shit corners in the world? <laughs> right. Well, because you want to get other streams of revenue too. I mean, I don't, as a result, I think uh, people that run mining pools are pretty disconnected from what motivates Bitcoiners to be Bitcoiners because they're just, it's very tangential, right? It's like, you know, it's like your electrician that wires up 220 volts in your garage to be able to run a miner. It, does he somehow magically, is he a Bitcoiner too? Like, no, it's a, it's an unrelated field. So running a mining pool is not, isn't done by hardcore diehard Bitcoiners the way like people, you know, working on lightning stuff are like obviously aligned with Bitcoin and probably have the majority of their life savings in Bitcoin. Like if you run via BTC, right, why would you be a diehard Bitcoiner? It's got very little to do with it, right? It's a, it's a hash rate, um, a hash rate collaboration or, you know, what the, the word escapes me, but you know, you're making. You called it a rental service. Well, I, I think I heard you say that once. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I have called it that before. Like, uh, I I I refer to it as these large mining pools are basically solo miners leasing hash rate from people. But that's that speaks to the fact that the pools want to do one aspect of mining, the the hashers want to do another aspect of mining, and neither of them really want to consider themselves. Bitcoin miners, um, and they both wash their hands of this filthy technology whenever they can, especially in the case of the publicly traded hashes. They, I, I did hear a story of one of them, uh, you know, defining themselves to the regulators of being, we are not a Bitcoin miner, we are a hash rate rental service. Um, we have nothing to do with Bitcoin. And they do that deliberately to get the regulators off their back. But it kind of betrays something like the fact that you can credibly make that claim is very telling because you do have much less to do with bitcoin than we'd expect from someone providing this essential security service because that's what miners do they're the bodyguards of the network we pay them to stand outside the building you know 250 pound guy with his arms folded right like he's got a job to do and we need him to be you know to be interested in keeping that job and uh, we need him to also respect that he isn't in charge of the business going on inside that building. He's providing a service to what's going on inside there. And that's the correct dynamic, right? So when people say miners will do this, miners will do that, and I'm saying they are employees. They are supposed to do what they're told by the greater network. They are not the boss of the network. And we fought a war to that effect before, and people seem to keep forgetting it. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing majorly here. There was a point I was trying to make a minute ago, and I, I totally forget what it was. You mentioned KYC in uh, America, too. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that latest Biden's uh, emergency survey deal? Uh, they, they even want longitude and latitude uh, I think uh, report. I think it, I don't know the details of it. It sickens me to my core, and I, I can't even bear to find out about it. But it's also just completely, did we, did we expect any different? Like the, it's totally centralized. What's going on? Like there are miners with almost ten percent of the hash rate in uh, as one company. Like you have a, a Bitfarms and CleanSpark, these huge publicly traded miners based in the U.S. that are obsessed with compliance more so than profit. 
And they mine with Foundry because the Foundry tick all those boxes for them and do all the regulatory stuff. And this is such an unholy situation. This this does this does absolutely nothing for Bitcoin. Um, it it provides an illusion of security, and they get access to all the economies of scale too, right? So these people are mining with two or three cents a kilowatt hour, while your average pleb miner is paying ten or eleven cents a kilowatt hour. So after the halving, who, who survives? I don't know, but uh, it's going to be much harder for the plebs than it is for you know these publicly traded guys. And the publicly traded guys couldn't care less about decentralization if foundries start openly attacking the network doing ofac censorship or whatever or they already demand full kyc so to me this is just a continuation of uh, you know a bad thing emerging that we all kind of knew was an accident waiting to happen it's bad but K foundry's been kycing their users forever i know miners that have said i cannot deal with this anymore it's too invasive i have to keep every couple of weeks updating them with more and more documentation proving i'm this that telling them what I use my Bitcoin for, where I bought my miners, just all this crap that's totally, you know, makes it so that you need permission to mine Bitcoin with, you know, an entity like Foundry, which can make your, it's white glove mining, right? Because you get the most regular payouts. It's all very shiny, smooth service, but it's totally permissioned. And, you know, if the Biden administration coming along saying, we want even more now, we want, uh, you know, DNA samples of everyone that works for you or something like that. I'm like, well, it's just more of the same. And ultimately, the people that have tolerated it, where's the line for the publicly traded guys? When are they going to stand up and go, that's it. This is against the principles I hold as a Bitcoiner. The time to do that was ages ago. <laughs> and you've already missed the, the ship. So as far as I'm concerned, these guys are just, we're just sort of, we're expecting Bitcoin at this point, the level of cope has reached. Well, Bitcoin will eventually just kill the United States government and we'll just sort of tread water until then. That seems to me like the, the approach people are taking. Uh, which yeah, is the latest uh, longitude latitude sounds like they're sending a bunker buster there, you know? I don't even know the specifics. Like, the, I can't bring myself to read it. To me, it's just horror porn. Like, I want to stay close to... I don't like the doom scrolling so much. I just want to just Biden wants information about my whatever. Fine. Like I'm not going to take part in it. One day I may get a knock on the door. I don't live in America anyway. So as far as I can tell, America is just like the land of the free, except when it comes to anything to do with money. And then it is the most surveilled and restricted nation on the planet. Maybe that's just in because it's in such stark contrast to the other freedom values it has, but I don't think so. Like if you go to Dubai and places like that where you can just spend a million dollars cash to buy an apartment and that's it, you bought it, you signed a thing, they signed a thing, now you own it. And there's no like months of lawyers and notaries and crap and all that stuff because you know, everyone wants to know where you got that money and what you're do. How dare you spend it? Like you can move money around in Dubai. There's no taxes. Like no one is expecting, no one is treating you like a criminal constantly for just having money or using it in any capacity. So it's, it's just America is just beyond screwed when it comes to this stuff. It drives me crazy, you know, and the surveillance uh, aspects of it, the restriction in Canada where I live, it's pretty annoying. Uh, it's not as bad, but if I'm trying to send money to a Bitcoin exchange, around 50% of the time, there'll be some sort of issue and I have to go into my bank and you know answer a bunch of questions. And I'm like, I've been sending money to this exchange for five years. Can you please stop flagging it as fraud? Like, you know, I'm, <laughs> you know who I am. 
you've seen me come in here once a month. Like, yeah, why? Did, and it's like $2,000 or something I'm sending to a Bitcoin exchange. I, every time I phone up your fraud department, I tell you to whitelist it and to stop flagging it as fraud, but you keep flagging it as fraud again. Like, is there a person working in this department that just really doesn't like Bitcoin that wants to make my life difficult? Or is this just your stupid system like that can't somehow allow for this thing? Like, it's not illegal. Bitcoin is not illegal in Canada. What are you guys doing? As a bank, you don't get to just go, we don't like this technology, so we're going to waste your time. Like, it's just, it's so stupid. It, but, it is a reminder how uh, Bitcoin fixes this, right? Yeah, when I'm whenever I'm orange-pilling people, and I'm getting them ready to buy their first 20 bucks of Bitcoin. I'm like, nothing will make you appreciate Bitcoin more than how difficult what you're about to do is going to be. Don't send $10,000 because it will get blocked. And you don't want to have $10,000 in limbo because your bank froze a transaction and isn't releasing it. Send 20 bucks and watch. And then by the, like they go through a month of pain and suffering. And I'm like, and this is why we Bitcoin. Because now you have Bitcoin, you can do anything you want with it without them being able to make life difficult for you or having to ask anyone's permission. But by the same token, if you lose your private keys, those are your money's gone just as permissionlessly. So, you know, right. welcome to the world of personal responsibility rather than the mollycoddled nanny state there <laughs> where you can't spend your own money, but no one can. So... You know, <laughs> so bring, bringing you back to like the ocean side of things, uh, you had three different uh, block templates. Um, I'm sure anybody that was first learning about block templates are like, well, what's that? Now they realize they have a choice between three. Uh, what what kind of what's like the percentage of the flow into those? Um, so nearly everyone uses the ocean default template, uh, which is um, it's not, but with. Uh, without the restriction in block size. So knots is an alternative implementation of Bitcoin. Bitcoin Core is the one everyone knows. Bitcoin knots is the one maintained by Luke. It's, it's, a, it's a superset of Core, which means it does everything Core does with some additional things. Uh, it doesn't break any of the things Core does. It just allows some things to be user configurable that in Core are strictly set. Um, and uh, as a result, uh, it, it's designed... From Luke's perspective, Luke Dasher, the you know the core developer that maintains the Knots project. Uh, Knots, the name, by the way, is uh, is an homage to the Knots in the whip Jesus used to whip the money lenders out of the temple. Uh, you know that being the sort of perfect allegory for um, so for what big not a nautical nautical uh, analogy. No, then I always thought it was to do with uh, you know. Uh, shipping you know a speed of a boat it's not it's it's not with a k it's to do with uh yeah it's to do with jesus whipping uh leeches out of a you know money changes and shit coiners out of the temple um so yeah and it, it allows a bunch of things to be user configured it has one default which we don't use on the ocean default template which is 300 kilobyte blocks uh luke considers that better for the network it is uh but that is a bad i'm not even crazy enough to try and fight Ooh, that's anyway. radio bitcoin that's ham radio bitcoin at that point right yeah. yeah you can do anything with 300 kilobyte blocks you buy a bunch of metrics uh the network the blockchain grows slow enough that that uh, technology has a chance to catch up uh which is the point right it's not about it, it's about slowing the rate of increase to the point where we can make up for the fact that it's been increasing too quickly for so long um 
and I think like yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly how the maths works on it, but you know, by by hook or by crook, Bitcoin seems to be hanging on anyway. So um, you know, if we don't get 300 kilobyte blocks, which I very much doubt we will, um, you know, uh, we'll be fine. But it would be ideal if blocks were a bit smaller. But it would also be ideal if we could stop spam, and that seems to be a difficult enough battle as it is. So. Um, in effect, we have smaller blocks now anyway, because the block size is the block space available. If you, uh, to people that are not prepared to outcompete with this new use case, i.e., spam, is now reduced because the amount of spam there is means the amount of if you're not willing to compete with it, then there's only there's less block space available for the fees you would have been paying before the spam started. So basically, there's just smaller blocks, but without the chain growing at a slower rate as a result. So we kind of have the worst of both worlds at the moment. We have smaller blocks, but we don't have less data to store. So um, it's kind of a lamentable situation, really. But again, there's still a global block size limit, which is being enforced, which stops it getting, you know, it could be a lot worse if we were in, uh, you know, Bcash land or BSV land, then, you know, we'd be absolutely screwed right now. We'd have blocks. Well, they're putting full books. The full books on BSV blocks. <laughs> What's that? The full books? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm sure. Like, I Bobby, mean, it's, you, uh, got, uh, you got your book 24 on there yet? On BSV? Not, not yet. <laughs> Go ahead, mechanic. Uh, no, I didn't have another point. That was a perfect, perfect place. Well, to uh, all right. Let's get back to another point you were making, um, and maybe again take a step back uh, and start with some definitions here. <clears throat> you were talking about pool payout structures, right? This is how the pools, when they uh, when they do win blocks, they uh, find a way of compensating miners. And there's PPS, FPPS. Could you talk about the two uh, or two or three main ones? The, prob the probably like something like ten payout structures. No, right there's now, really but... only two. Um, okay. But yeah, happy to talk about it. So uh, FPPS is basically a sort of an intra-bank exchange rate kind of vibe. If you know, like you know, like what LIBOR is, like how these yes. consortium of banks in the city of London will wake up every morning yes. and say, "Okay, this is the price of money today," and everyone just sort of has to respect it. This is what FPPS is. It basically says. Oh, you have a hundred terahash. Uh, okay, this is how much money you should make from that, and we will give you that every day, uh, regardless of what happens on the blockchain. So, if you point this at us, we will pay you X amount of sats every Y amount of time. And uh, whether or not that has anything to do with what's going on on the blockchain depends on how trusting you are as a person, I would guess. Um, and you know, given that it's Bitcoin, I would say that the potential for them to pocket. A different amount uh, than what is implied by what FPPS is set at uh, is sort of traded off with how centralized the FPPS system is and how much real competition there is. In my estimation, the more I learn about competition in quote marks amongst pools is that it's basically an illusion at this point. A bunch of the smaller pools are just fronts for ant pool um, because FPPS is an incredibly difficult system to maintain. If you are paying miners, no matter what happens on the blockchain, you can be left holding an extremely heavy bag because you keep writing checks and you need the blockchain to cash them. If it doesn't, you're just left holding a heavy bag. 
uh, of debt. You have to pay your miners no matter what. They are not interested in what happens on the blockchain. They want to be paid for their hash rate and they want to get it regularly and they want proper cash flow because that's a very big concern for miners um, is cash flow. They need to be able to pay bills and uh, blocks get found randomly. Um, there's a, you know, a, a, according to the, the, the way uh, rewards happen is, you know, the way blocks get found is a result of uh, what we call Poisson distribution, which means it's semi-random, I guess. Like it's unpredictable, but over a long enough period, it will be predictable. But just because it's been 10 minutes since you found the last block doesn't mean you're about to find another block collectively as the network. Um, is yeah, there a mess of that? But can, I, can, I, can I stop you real quick? Yeah. Is it... So uh, have people actually worked out that it is a Poisson distribution and not a uniform distribution? Uh, that's how it's defined. Uh, I'm no statistician, so I couldn't tell you if it's if there's some sort of red pill there I need to take. But that's as far as I know, that's what it is. Um, and it's I've seen it, right? Like it doesn't just because it's been 10 minutes since the last block doesn't mean you're about to find a block. It just, if you look back, it will be roughly every 10 minutes that we did find a block if you average everything out. But there are not a finite number of guesses, realistically speaking, and you just work your way through them and it takes you 10 minutes to get through them. It doesn't work like that, right? So I, I don't know exactly, and I don't want to remark on it more because my understanding of it is just too poor. When it comes to maths, I'm just not the greatest guy to speak no. about it right no th that's fair but i mean this is beginning to sound a lot like socialism to me the fpps model oh the fpps is just it's just insurance it's basically saying to a miner don't worry about the randomness of the network we will smooth that out for you and as a pool we will go and deal with the randomness and unpredictability of bitcoin so in theory they're just saying hey sometimes we'll have a bad day and we won't find many blocks or we'll find, you know, 50% of the blocks we expected to find, but you'll still get 100% of the money and we'll just pay you out of our pocket. Because guess what? Tomorrow we have a brilliant day and we find 200% of the blocks we expected to find and we pocketed the difference. You didn't make any extra. You just got a predictable amount. Does that make sense? Like if, 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 if the pool is lucky, yeah. the pool makes more money. If the pool is unlucky, the pool has to pay you out of its pocket. But on average... It's not supposed to matter because the, the the miners are getting what they expect. All the luck is being taken out of the equation, and they just need right. to deal with this giant buffer between the blockchain and themselves that keeps millions of dollars in its pocket to be able to bankroll the whole system while it's suffering bad luck and pockets millions of dollars whenever it has good luck. Ocean doesn't work like that. Ocean is the competing model, which is paper last n shares, but in our case, it's a derivative of that called tides which is, you know, no resolution loss. And I'm probably not going to get into the specifics of that. But basically, it's just saying, it's doing as close as what you can do as possible to proportional payouts, which says, hey, you've got you've got 66.6% of the pool, and this other miner has 33.3% of the pool. So when we find this block that contains 10 Bitcoins, you get 6.66 Bitcoin, and you get 3.33 Bitcoin, right? And you just also the transaction it. fee. That's uh, a key part, right? Assuming that okay. you know that ten Bitcoin figure was a combination of uh, some imaginary subsidy plus all the fees in the block. You just yeah. divide up the reward in the block amongst uh, you know in proportion to the work being done by all the various miners mining at that time. But you can't do that 
there's a gotcha there, which is when you do proportional payouts crudely like that, this this attack called pool hopping can happen, which basically ruins pools, and it ruined a bunch of pools back in the early days of pooled mining when before we realized this. So what you end up having to make is a derivative system of that, which uh, has um, uh, proportional payouts, but over an average period of time or shares submitted to the pool where people ramp up and ramp down, which means they no longer have any advantage to gain by pool hopping. And then it becomes far more complicated to explain, but basically all mathematically works out fine. So there's a window of shares. Let's say there's a million shares in that window. And the amount of shares you are able to submit is based on your hash rate. But the amount of shares you have in the window is based on how long you've been mining with that amount of shares. So on Ocean right now, if you're an enormous miner and you come mine with us and we find a block one second later, you're only going to get a tiny percentage of that block because you didn't have many shares in the window yet. But as you continue mining and as the share window refreshes itself, you become a bigger and bigger percentage of that share window until it matches your hash rate. So if you're 33% of the pool's hash rate, after one cycle of the share window, you are now 33% of the share log, which means you get 33% of the reward of new blocks. And after you leave, your shares stay in the window and slowly expire. So after you leave, you get you continue getting rewarded it just gets less and less that your percentage of shares in the overall share logs trends towards zero so this is this is averaging being done in order to prevent pool hopping because if you pool hop with a with a pplns or a tides payout system uh, you don't have any advantage of it because if you start mining with them and the pool gets lucky you don't suddenly get a massive split because you don't have money shares in the log so the 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 real philosophical difference here between FPPS and what we do is, in our case, miners actually get affected by what happens on the blockchain, which is the only way you can have a system that's transparent and verifiable. So when we find a block, you can look at what your hash rate is. You can look at the overall hash rate of the pool. You can verify that that hash rate matches the amount of blocks we find, which, granted, there's a lot of at the moment, that's kind of hard to do because of how few blocks we actually find and how much variance there is as a result of our low hash rate. But the point is you can look at the block, you can look at your hash rate and go, I got the correct split for this. I can verify the amount of shares I submitted. And with FPPS, there's just no way to do that in, because you're getting paid money that in theory just doesn't exist sometimes. Like if you get paid a bunch right. of stats from a pool that didn't find any blocks, what how are you going to verify anything about that apart from this is what they've decided my hash rate was worth today like how do you possibly verify that <laughs> like you have to basically take everything as given from what the pool says is how they decided to structure payouts and given that it's basically a closed and rigged system amongst a tiny group of participants that are all kind of beholden to one parent pool which is in this case ant pool which this is the point I hadn't managed to make yet. The, being a small FPPS pool is super precarious because you might be on the hook for millions of dollars within a day just because you have a bad day. And that bad run of luck can run for a whole week. And at that point, you can be out tens of millions of dollars very quickly. And uh, as far as I know, um, one of the smaller pools, I'm not going to name names here, has a backdoor deal with, um, with Antpool saying, hey, if we hit a run of bad luck, can you bankroll us? And Antpool have said, no problem, we'll do that. Which means 
Antpool doesn't have whatever percentage you think it does of the network. It means it realistically has more of that because they just have yep. they have these backdoor deals. And I use this uh, visualization of uh, those restaurants uh, in foreign countries, like in poor countries where you have uh, multiple restaurants in a row on a street and they look like different businesses and they're all hustling to try and get you in, but it's all one set of cooks and it's all one it's one restaurant with different storefronts and this illusion of competition to provide you with this you know comforting notion that you made a choice based on an intelligent you know you you looked at the different options and you decided which one you want but really they were all the same thing in the back so that's kind of what fpps is becoming and it's getting worse not better and it, it certainly is just not helped by the fact that all the hardware is made by bitmain too so which is Antpool, right? This is uh, PPLNS. And to make matters worse, Bitmain is Antpool for all intents and purposes. Yeah, but it's Bitmain has a partnership with via BTC2, who, as you identified, were shitcoiners. They, if you go on the CEO of via BTC's Twitter, it's just a big Bitcoin cash flag, and we know Antpool's history with. Uh, you know, Bitcoin Cash in the past, anyway. You know, they... Jihan Wu and others. Yeah, J Jihan isn't there anymore. Uh, but I mean, they still they still seem to have some affiliation. I don't know if they know if they still own a lot of those coins too. Uh, they certainly, you know, lost a lot of money with Bcash, but I don't know if they've thrown in the towel yet. Um, but yeah, they were they have a long antagonistic history with uh, with Bitcoin, and you know, certainly out of alignment with the motivations of the other you know people that make up the bitcoin ecosystem you know mechanic what what you described to me sounds a lot like antpool is like the federal reserve for miners right they're, they're there to backstop them they're there to provide liquidity when they need it yeah uh and well antpool has another source of income they sell asics they can even run antpool at a loss because they make so much money selling actual physical devices, right? Like other pools don't have that. I mean, Brains has the the income they generate from their firmware that people use, you know, as aftermarket firmware for ant miner devices. Um, but you know, the, and there's also selling of block space out of band as well, which is you know a thing. Like if you want to if you want to enrich mining pools without paying high transaction fees, you can go to mempool space mempool.space find some low paying transaction that isn't going to make it into the next block and pay an out of band fee to mempool who then forward it on to various mining pools who will then include that transaction in a block and it will look like a weird transaction because what is that doing in a block it didn't pay a very high fee in a very high fee environment well there was an out of band payment for it does that make it to any other hashes does it get split up is there any transparency there i'm gonna wager that definitely isn't but the point is there are other sources of revenue for a pool to make up the discrepancy but the the idea of maintaining pockets you know that much of a buffer is hard and i think if any pool ever death spirals well that process could be it's like dry tinder like if a pool loses a bit of hash rate and it's an fpps pool and it was if a pool has like a say say foundry is like sitting at 30 percent for a while and they have a bad week where they mine only 90% of what they expected to mine, and then hash rate starts leaving the pool, it can it paid that extra 10% out of pocket, and now it will never recuperate that, right? So 
that the more and more insurance they have to provide for themselves as a as a means of making fpps sustainable the less miners must ultimately make right because that that randomness insurance that miners are getting from fpps is not free it cannot be so ultimately ocean by saying to miners hey we don't provide you any assurances against randomness from blocks that get found we're taking on 99% less burden all we do is split up rewards and give them to miners if we don't find any blocks that's not on us to pay you but if we do find a bunch of blocks you get all of the money and by the way we don't have to take this cut anymore because we don't need to provide you with this you know you know insurance and it's not like house insurance where if anything actually happens they refuse to pay like it doesn't work that way like you have to pay your miners <clears throat> Yeah, I, 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 when I was listening to you talking about the storefront, you're going to different ones, thinking you're in, let's say, a different pool, but really it's all ran by the same, same yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> owner. Uh, it sounds like a lot of hidden mining centralization. Well, it is. Um, I mean, you have other pools, like tiny ones like Lincoin and Luxor and stuff, and some of them are just white labels at this point. Like they are literally just ant pools saying, oh, you're starting a pool. All right, just just come and direct all your hash rate to us and we'll just white label our blocks. So they'll say Luxor or Lincoin on the block instead of Antpool. But really, it was just us doing it. Like, Well, and you know, there, there's an incentive for that, right? Like, uh, so they don't look too big. Um, you kind of just spread it out with different yeah. labels. Heck yeah, because these pools know, if Foundry and Antpool know, if the percentage on the pie chart starts to creep into the 40%, everyone gets spooked and then they abandon the pool. And if that happens during a period of bad luck, that's the scenario I just described, right? Then the pool wrote a bunch of checks it will never be able to cash. That sucks. It's over for the pool in that case. So they can't have mass exodus from their mining pools. They just can't afford for it to happen. And they know it will happen if enough people, if um, if their hash rate starts to spook the network. So as you as you say, yeah, they just start. Well, I mean, having other pools start up that are secretly, you know, using that are secretly using ant pool in the background um in theory the hash rate isn't directly pointed at their pool uh i worry about the opposite scenario more to be honest which is where uh the bigger pools start pointing their miners at the smaller pools to make the smaller pools look artificially larger than they are when the hash rate is really all still being pointed at ant pool or foundry that's a, a more worrying scenario to me but they they both give the network a false sense of where the hash rate is actually going. And to be honest, most people just aren't worried about it enough anyway. Like you can't you can't have a mining entity with like 20, 30% of the hash rate. That is not safe. That is centralized. It's not 51% is literally the end of like, okay, we're broken now. If a pool makes it to 51% and the hash and the miners don't move, it's over. But if a pool approaches that, it's not like we're okay until we get to 51. It already starts becoming potentially, it becomes very possible to cause a lot of disruption after about 20%. After about 30%, it gets really bad. And then at 40%, it's just, we're, we're screwed. If we don't do something about this, we're screwed. But no one seems to be aware of this because, let me, let me take a look at mempool space right now and have a look at the pie chart. I mean, Foundry is sitting there at a comfortable 30%. That's way too big. It's not that they have that's all hash rate directly under their control, right? But the point is, 
that you uh, coupled with what I just said before, which is they might redirect a bunch of their hash rate to the smaller pools to create a bit of an illusion of, you know, decentralization. They might be closer to forty percent, right? Which is just too big for like a a regulated U.S. entity that is complying with every single thing it's being asked to comply with. That is not decentralized. That is not censorship resistant. That is a nightmare. So, so yeah. mechanic, let's let's try and take move this to a more aspirational note because all, all of the stuff is completely hor horrifying, right? For, yeah, sorry, man. Like, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, no, no, no. It, no, look, that's that's it, why it, we're here. We we heard it uh, before. We got a little sad about it. So we we had some. Uh, we wanted to bring some hope to it. Uh, it will be all right somehow. What, what's your question? Yeah, so, the question is, what can we do as plebs to fix this? Just mine. There's nothing like hash rate. Mine with Ocean. Like I've been increasing my hash rate a lot since Ocean came around because there's just no, there's nothing like it. Like put your money where your mouth is. It's like even more true with put your hash rate where your mouth is. Like if you are mining with pools that are attacking the network by, you know, just i mean it's it's a bit precarious maybe to describe miners putting spam in blocks as an attack at the moment because they are just respecting the defaults of bitcoin core which is the reference implementation they have a they have that get out of jail free card there with that you can't really hold them culpable but now that ocean exists and we know the nature of these attacks it makes like it's kind of on miners now i'm looking at them and saying why aren't you switching to ocean at this point like there's all the transparency and the reduced cost of us not having to provide FPPS, uh, all that stuff. But it's not just that. Like Our blocks don't contain tons and tons of crap, and there's barely any difference when it comes to the revenue pulled in. We're talking, like on average, it's around three or four million sats per block. We find two blocks a week. You, you divide that amongst everyone in the pool, and you're talking single-digit dollars or double-digit dollars at like not even a dollar difference for like a pleb miner, right? So way under a percent and the pool is at zero percent anyway so you come out ahead financially mining with ocean that's before you even take into consideration all the you know the the the, the bits of you know pools pocketing a bit of money that they know they can get away with because it's impossible to verify fpps even before you go, go into all that stuff you make more money um so there's all that um, and the, yeah, the fact is, I just want to mine on a pool that is, you know, taking responsibility for what goes in the chain and defending its choices and saying this is what belongs in there. And, um, you know, uh, that's that's the that's the fun stuff for me. So that's what I enjoy doing. So, like, if, if miners are going to be on the on the whole hostile to the network, then I, I have to be a miner myself. And I also have to be a part of the conversation that says we need to do something about this. So we heard recently there were some very broad hints dropped by folks like Corey Clipston from Swan that they the newly launched Swan uh, mining division is pointing their hash rate towards ocean. Can you confirm or deny those allegations? Is it Swan Pond, Avi? <laughs> Swan Lake. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it all travels to the ocean, right? Uh, so, I mean, when when people started asking them about their hash rate, all Corey and uh, and Rafa did was respond with gifs of you know people surfing on the ocean, 
like they did they did this like 10 times or something i didn't say anything because it's not really my place to say anything um but at the same time around those announcements uh ocean suddenly jumped from like 500 petahash to 1.2 exahash which is around another 700 petahash which is you know uh, I think they have around five exahash themselves. Yes. So I mean, without confirming or denying anything, I mean it's pretty. I mean, <laughs> draw what conclusion you will. <laughs> like I, I don't, I don't know exactly like what I can and can't say about it. So it's smart for me to just say nothing, probably, and just you know whatever Swan want to disclose, disclose they can. And they've already they've already kind of been teasing at it. I think they're also just like sick of people going after them on these stupid witch hunts. Like they had this Peter Ansel guy that turned out to be a pedophile, but like obviously isn't their freaking fault. Like I've been on. I don't know any of you guys. Maybe one of you guys is a pedophile. Like, am I gonna have a witch hunt in the future because I didn't like get the FBI to come and look into all your history? Like <laughs> it's it's so stupid. I just think they're a bit sick of it. And Ocean is like a very similar company in that, like, you know, in the world of Coinbase and Binance and, you know, FTX and all that, Swan are somehow the bad guy. Like the Bitcoin only exchange that, you know, like this, I have no issue with Swan. Like as far as I can tell, they're fine. Like this good people. Ocean is the same, right? Like in a context of Antpool, Bitmain, Foundry, like full KYC, full regulation, Shitcointopia, like all this stuff somehow ocean is the one everyone's going nuts at on twitter <laughs> all day like it just it, it so i felt like very i felt like a kindred spirit with these guys i'm like yeah you guys just get attacked over absolute nonsense all day like we relate but at the same time i think that you know what i'm neither confirming nor denying here like if if it is what people like obviously assume it is given all the gifts of oceans and stuff that they keep posting they probably just don't want everyone to go oh you're mining with the censorship pool and have to deal with that all day because it's just so dumb like my literally it's not even up to us anymore if you want to mine a core template it's literally there on ocean go ahead like it's <laughs> we're just giving the miners options at this point so you know i just think that maybe that's part of the motivation for how this thing's sort of being rolled out but yeah i don't know that's that's sorry for the non-descript answer but at the end of the day <laughs> We weren't looking for some tea to be spilt there. We just, uh, I think it's a general question from Avi. Yeah, I think I, I will. I will say, QW, it is the, it is, it is a bizarre feeling, uh, and I'm, I'm not pointing any fingers uh, here, mechanic, but I, I, because I know you said this completely in the abstract, with no malice intended. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of this, but it is a bizarre feeling to be. Uh, to, to for mechanic to pose that hypothetical <laughs> about Peter Ansel and drawing that par potential parallel to uh, to us on the stage, it's, yeah, it's a yeah, strange feeling. Uh, I, I don't, for a second, like have any reason to you know to point that out. I'm just saying, like this is a Bitcoin is just ad hoc, right? I don't know most of the ninety percent of the Bitcoiners I know I've never met or shaken their hands, right? It's just people that I feel a kindred spirit with that are brothers in a war against fiat and if someone turns out to be a bad actor for whatever reason like i'm not going to disown everyone that associated with him because it's it's like witch hunts are really scary things and people's reputations get burnt and people's lives get lost for just no good reason at all like and it's it's scary right it really is scary and even because even if you don't have any skeletons in your closet 
Uh, yeah, I just I found it ridiculous, but it's also the point where I, I couldn't defend them because I'm like, well, I have enough people attacking me all day anyway. I don't want to start defending Swan and have to deal with people calling me a pedophile apologist as well. Like, I just, I'm, I'm tired of dealing with like silly stuff all the time and there's only so many battles I can fight. But I totally was like, this is ridiculous. These guys are not, the, the, the Occam's razor tells me they didn't realize what this guy was. And, you know, he was on their stage, they worked with him and they didn't do a background check and they're not responsible for his actions. They're just not. This is totally, it's totally immoral to hold someone responsible for the actions of one of their yeah. employers when it's very, very likely they just weren't aware of what they did. Um, yeah, I got to say, I feel like Noster fixes this kind of uh, mentality where you get the right. engagement farming, uh, mm. uh, just just manufactured crisis, uh, let's everyone get the pitchforks out type of thing, uh, and this is the bad guy. Yeah, uh, the chronological uh, timeline. <laughs> Nothing like a chronological timeline to fix that, right? Lack of algorithms. So, Mechanic, maybe we can uh, we can sort of wrap this up on, on the Noster note, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Which is... You, if you don't mind my saying so, you know, been particularly uh, active on Nostra. Is that something you're looking at addressing? Uh, looking at what? Sorry. At addressing um, the fact that you haven't been involved on Nostra. Oh yeah. Um, like I said, I think like I'm a big fan of Hoddlebod. Um, I'm a fan of Jack Dorsey too, and he's a big proponent of Nostra. I like it a lot. Um, I dislike Twitter a lot, and I'm, I've sort of got boiling frog syndrome. I think with Twitter, I think that's probably the the main reason here that I'm not using uh, Nostra more. I had a, a, a like I used Nostra. It, it it had one of those victims of its own premature success things. Nostra people got really excited about it when it still was absolutely terrible. So a lot of people came over and had a bad time, and then that was it. So that happened to me as well. Uh, I lost all my follows, not followers, but follows. Like all the people I was following, there was like some race condition thing that would happen where if you logged in on two clients at once, all of your follows would get dropped. Uh, so I had to go around and find everyone again. And, um, you know, and still, like I said before, I just don't have a decent client. Like, where am I at with it? Um, I'm, I'm using Iris at the moment and I'm using Amethyst on my phone. Amethyst is a lot better than when I tried it like a year ago. So it's getting better. Um, and I don't I don't think I'm missing stuff. Is the, are the DMs still like public to just everyone? Yes. The, yes. Well, the fact that you're sending a DM is, right, the contents are not. Yeah. Yeah, that, that terrifies me. Like I don't, I, I know yeah. the contents are encrypted, but like just the fact that anyone with my public key knows that I'm DMing a certain person to me, that's just like a non-starter. Like, yeah, it's just no. <laughs> so, like, I don't know why that. I don't. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I feel like that is a fixable thing. I feel like there just needs to, like, rather than pay to public key, you pay to public key hash, and then the public key isn't known. Also, you know, it's like a, a similar thing like that. There just needs to be another layer that unlocks all the DMs, and then within that, you have specific DMs. Right. And then, you know, then you would have less knowledge available to people that only know your public key. Or I don't know. No, maybe I'm wrong there. But yeah, it just seems to me like like don't use DMs. <laughs> Do not use DMs. 
I I would agree with that. Nostra is a place for, at least today, for public communication, not for mm. private. Certainly. Yeah, so I'll endeavor to use it more. I like it. Um, and yeah, I just need it to, like, I think it might be a, like a combination of graphene OS with amethyst. Let me load it up now and see how it works. Yeah, we got a lot of graphene users on uh, on Noster. That's that's for certain. Yeah. So let's mechanic. Let's round this off with uh, the last question. What uh, what do we look forward to from uh, what you've got to offer? Anything coming up? Um, hopefully, Ocean's hash rate. That's what uh, <laughs> that's the number I look at all day. I forget about. The, I don't pay attention to the Bitcoin price at all anymore. Like it's, yeah. it's really good to when you're involved in like a, a deeper Bitcoin ecosystem project, you forget about the price, which is, um, you know, a lot of fun. Um, you go back to the price and especially in a bull market, you go back like it's the same with SegWit adoption, like back when, uh, sorry, SegWit activation, like that was 2017, which was probably Bitcoin's most legendary bull run. Like it, it won every mm -hmm. battle and it went from like, you know, 800 bucks at the beginning of the year to 20 grand by the end of it and just like won all the battles like twice like it defeated bitcoin cash it defeated brian armstrong and defeated coinbase it defeated barry silver defeated jeff garzik segwit 2x like it just won everything they kept hard forking it which was just free money for us as well like it was just an unbelievable heyday for bitcoin um so you know but you would check the price as well during all this winning and it was just like a euphoric just self-reinforcing joyful celebration of a year so 2021 wasn't anything like as good like we had michael Saylor, that was fun for a while and i think that's just kind of a broken record now maybe um and i'm wondering what this now we have the etfs which is just actively bad um and, you know yes. not your keys not your coins There's, I, I don't find anything remotely good about it it just seems to serve as validation for a lot of people that are like oh it's look at me now mom that thing i invested in isn't a scam like it's just embarrassing really blackrock has well, three billion now yay there's nothing good well, about etfs I, I can't get excited about it we have wall street bros uh, coming out of the woodwork telling us what bitcoin actually is right which is hilarious the culture is uh, expanding. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. That's one way of looking at it. Well, well that's great. Uh, Avi, uh, Ocean is actually, uh, I saw they, they were a um, sponsor of BitBlock Boom. Uh, both Avi and I will be speaking separately there. Uh, hope to see you. I'm not sure if you're going to go there, but uh, we appreciate Ocean uh, uh uh, supporting the one of the one of the most low key hardcore Bitcoin uh, conferences out there. What's it called again? Bit Bitblock Boom. It's in Dallas. Uh, Gary oh, yeah, Leland sponsoring. What's that? We're sponsoring. Ocean is the main sponsor for that. Yeah, yeah, that was that's what I was saying. Yeah, no, it'll be great. I've been there twice now. Uh, always happy to do it. Big fan of Gary Leland, um, and uh, he's a good man. Yeah, he's a great Bitcoiner. Uh, he came to the ocean launch, a uh, good friend. 
Um, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll be there. Halving edition, right? I don't. Is it falling on the halving? What happened to the scheduling? Of it's that? not. It's it's going to be the halving is going to be closer to the nineteenth or the twentieth. Uh, and if sorry, what's the date of BBB? Oh, 12? it's like it's the twelfth or thirteenth. All right, so we need to get lucky with blocks. Very lucky. Well, there is the European halving party and Bitcoin Film Festival that's happening on the 19th and 20th. So I think they were they did well with the choice of dates. Yeah, last to launch makes it by, makes it a little bit more accurate, right? <laughs> uh, I think I need to jump off. Uh, yeah, us yeah. too. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll just keep fighting the good fight. We appreciate you. Thanks. Appreciate yeah, you thank guys you. too. Uh, send me a link when you have this thing, and I'll I'll, I'll share it. Yeah, like a uploaded somewhere. Will do. All right, man. Have a good thank day, you, guys. Mechanic. Yeah, anytime. Thank Off thank to my uh, Nostra mixer. Go for Perfect timing. Thank you to our live live audience and to the folks listening to the recording. Cheerio. Listen on Fountain. Thank you.